You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. So it was, it was a profound learning experience. It was a profound awareness that not only did I have to worry about children now, which I have five of, but now I had to worry about grandchildren. And you never think that about grandchildren perhaps not living past you. So lots of things fell away and became clear to me uh, through time that I was living an inauthentic life. I had to look at my own marriage and, and subsequently it ended. Um, I looked at all this stuff I had been spending so much time acquiring. I, I likened it to a conversation with somebody this week that I got myself up on the swimming block. I got the right bathing suit. I got the right swim cap. I had the right goggles. I took all the swim lessons, but I had trouble actually diving in the water. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission, to remind people the truth of who they are to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. In today's podcast, This Is Personal, we rewind the life of Elizabeth. You will find Elizabeth's story very inspiring from her challenges with having a granddaughter, eight years old now, that's battling cystic fibrosis and how that's brought her family closer together. And you'll see Elizabeth's ability to, and her gift to inspire other people to come together to uh, achieve some very large goals. In fact, one goal that ended her up at the White House, that uh, even though Elizabeth wonders why, she always happens to do things the hard way. There are many lessons that she's learned that she would not have learned had she not done it the more challenging way and taken the road less traveled. By her own barometer, she is where she's supposed to be and she's not supposed to know what's next. And she's as happy and as content as she's ever been in her life. So without further delay, let's get right to today's podcast. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad to be here. Very nice to have you. This start off, I have a little exercise I like to do. Why don't you describe uh, your life in six sentences? Six sentences, okay. Uh, a mother, a grandmother, a nonprofit leader um, that is in the middle of a sabbatical and gap year exploring what the next third of my life looks like. Okay, you want credit for one sentence there, Elizabeth? That's yeah, didn't it? That kind of went on and on, like a run-on sentence. Yeah. Okay, good. 
mother, grandmother, nonprofit leader in the midst of a gap year. Okay, cool. Um, as a result, I have uprooted my life. I've explored Europe and the States and moved and um, I'm just, um, I feel like a, a, a child again and learning how to play and learning how to let life flow and losing track of judgment and setting intentions that now attach to outcomes. What, you want all that to be your second sentence? Oh my gosh, yeah. You're really, sure. you're really pushing the envelope here, Elizabeth. Okay, you know, no, we'll call those two sentences with a lot of semicolons. Okay, with sentence, three, No, sentence. with six sentences with semicolons. No, you don't get six. <laughs> two sentences right. with three semicolons each. Okay, now sentence three. Oh dear. I'm an explorer. I'm a creator. Those were two separate sentences. And... <laughs> I am uh, full of joy. How many am I on now? That's sentence five. You have one more sentence. Mm. I'm in love with life. Cool. Let's do 20 choices and see how, how that goes next. Um, sugar or spice? Sugar. Naughty or nice? Very nice. Gelato or sorbet? Gelato. Driving or flying? Driving. Driver or passenger? Passenger. Night owl or early bird? Neither. Dogs or cats? Dog. Lions or tigers? Lions. Creative or analytical? Creative. Exercise or sleep? Exercise. Sleep or work? Work. Most difficult emotion? Anger. Your biggest fear? Um, losing my granddaughter. Fear of heights, falling from a height, or being trapped in a tunnel underground? Um, wow. Uh, heights. Brains or beauty? Brains. Introvert or extrovert? Ambivert. Both? Okay. Biggest trigger? Mean people. What do you do? When you run across mean people. Oh, I tend to freeze. <laughs> because you don't Unfortunately. want to get angry. Right, get angry. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. It's an interesting uh, about the difference between men and women. I actually was just listening to a podcast the other day. A woman named Joan Rosenberg, I believe, wrote a book, 90, I think it's called 90 Seconds to the Life You Love. But in the podcast, they're talking about uh, men's default emotion is usually anger because it's really the only thing uh, most of us grew up with is that was acceptable. All the other mm -hmm. emotions for men, not really acceptable. And for women, uh, it was usually sadness or disappointment that was acceptable for them. But anger was not something so uh, comfortable for most women. Interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and what the book actually talks about is how to handle the eight, uh, helping people move through eight unpleasant feelings. Oh, that sounds like a good one. Yeah, I haven't read the book, but uh, I uh, listened to the podcast and I 
always take notes when I go through this stuff. Right. But the eight unpleasant feelings are of sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, mm -hmm. vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, right. and frustration. So we've learned a lot so far, Elizabeth. And thank you for those for those answers. It's always in the alternate choice. It's always interesting to see how they how people respond. On. Some people don't want to choose, and they want to choose both or neither. Some people are very good at choosing. <laughs> it, tells, it tells a lot. Yeah, it does. If we looked at things that have happened in your life, events or stories you'd like to tell, what would be two or three um, events in your life that have had the biggest impact on you, positive or negative? Um, I think one of the the biggest events for me was the birth of my granddaughter with an emergency birth with a emergency surgery with a subsequent diagnosis of cystic fibrosis in those waiting rooms so many things fell away so many things that were non-essential clarity around authenticity and how short life is. It's one thing when your child is ill, but when you suffer on behalf of your child suffering for their child, uh, there's a whole new level of health <laughs> because you're not in any control. So if your child is in a situation, you get to talk to the doctor, you get to ask the questions, you know, but as the grandparent, you you have to be a support system without all the answers. So it was, it was a profound learning experience. It was a profound awareness that not only did I have to worry about children now, which I have five of, but now I had to worry about grandchildren. And you never think that about grandchildren perhaps not living past you. So lots of things fell away and became clear to me uh, through time that I was living an inauthentic life and that um, I had to look at my own marriage and, and subsequently it ended. Um, I looked at all this stuff I had been spending so much time acquiring so can, and realized can, it was Elizabeth, can I Can I slow you down a little bit? Yeah. Because this is really important and I, I, I'd like to stay on this for a while, and I'm glad that you're okay. that you're willing to talk about it. Um, maybe you can tell our audience because you know, maybe some people are just not aware of this of the severity of the diagnosis of cystic fibrosis. I've um, I became familiar with it really just through the TED Talk of Claire Wineland. Uh, mm -hmm. That was an unbelievable story, but maybe you can uh, from your eyes just kind of tell the audience briefly what what you learned when all this when your granddaughter was born and you learned about the diagnosis uh, just tell them a little more because it's it is not an easy thing in any way any stretch of the imagination to deal with for anybody uh, no and no it's it was a stunning diagnosis um because it's hereditary and both parents if both parents carry the gene, there's a one in four chance the child will be born with it. And neither side of the family had any awareness that we carried the gene. So that was the one, it's a profound 
understanding that uh, now there's more to look at in the family. You know, this might not be the only case that we deal with. In addition to that, one in 27 Americans carries this gene. So if you think about one in every classroom, it, it's more than you realize. It's the number one genetic life-shortening disease of Europeans and anyone of European descent. So hmm. again, most of us don't know that. And if you're Irish, odds go way up. One in 17 in Ireland carry the gene. Really? Well, yes. Yeah. Right? Most of us, well, I didn't either. And 50 50, uh, 30,000 people in the United States have this gene or have this disease. And um, in the 80s, you wouldn't have lived past age 8. The median age is now around 45, 47. Median age meaning 50% of those born in 2016 will actually live to that age. All right. So it, it, it keeps extending due to the amazing research and literally one of the most groundbreaking foundations out there. So... She was born at the right time. Cystic fibrosis is a progressive foundation, far outleading other health-related foundations in terms of seeking not just care but a cure. But nonetheless, it is a genetic disease where the cells of the body don't work correctly and the, uh, the channels are broken. And then people think, well, yes, it's a lung disease. Well, it's actually a disease of salt and bicarbonate. And um, as a result, anywhere there's mucus in the body is dangerous. Uh, cystic fibrosis patients do not digest food. They did, do not produce digestive enzymes. Hmm. So they must take enzymes in order to digest their food. They may only absorb 50 to 75% of their calories. So you're talking about a two-year-old eating 2,500 calories a day, if you can imagine. Um, and the, their weight is tied to lung function. So there's a constant challenge. So yes, there, it, does, it is a disease that affects the lungs. It also, in my granddaughter's case, affects her intestinal organs and causes cirrhosis of the liver at age two. Wow. Um, in fact, she had a partial liver bypass is how I described the surgery just a week and a half ago. And um, in hopes of uh, forestalling her liver transplant that will be coming up soon. And she's eight. <laughs> so it is a disease that destroys really almost any internal organ that has mucus and you can imagine that's pretty much all of your organs and uh it's a devastating disease and uh and then you learn to i mean there are many devastating diseases out there of course and um so let me you don't let me interrupt a sec elizabeth mm -hmm. how are your uh, the parents, your, I think your daughter and your son-in-law, how are they? My son is the carrier um, and his wife also a carrier. They say 50% of the parents have post-traumatic stress syndrome because anytime someone coughs with 
including the child or anyone around them, you know, you're, you're, you're always on alert. You're always on alert. Uh, so it's really hard to live with everything is the enemy. Germs are the enemy, right? A child with a cold, you know, could be a killer. So it's a hard way to live, but I'll tell you the upside is it made us a stronger family. It brought into perspective what's important. Um, and uh, that was the unexpected upside is um, how powerful, I, I call it a modern family now because um, my children are children of divorce and um, they've subsequently, you know, received half siblings and um, new families all over. Well, ooh, Adele is our glue and our family is large and loving and supportive and we know what matters and we learned it the hard way but at least we know what matters so um her birth shifted my life completely and that's that was that was probably number one <laughs> number in events life-changing events so so this has been eight years how mm -hmm. would how would you say that personally and i, I mean that's that's fascinating that the family has uh, been able to come together because you know I, I think that there's lots of choices when you have this kind of trauma and it could be more it can make it even depending on what what the uh, the pieces are in terms of the family it can make it even more difficult so it's great that sure. it's great that it it helps you come closer together and yes. uh, there's you know, it might, it's my belief that there's always spiritual reasons for things that occur and, and we're having these experiences that have effects on us and maybe lots of other people in the world that, that can be beneficial to other people despite the, you know, the pain and the, the difficulty that there's always going to be some good that comes out of it. How have you... you um, well, you have to. Or, or, or Well, one of the ways is um, I... I'm working with the local chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation to create an engagement program for families based on our experience that I hope will benefit other families. And that's my passion project. Um, and yes, we do our bit to raise money for the foundation, um, but also to create awareness because um, I, I think many more people will find out that they're carriers in this generation that will be surprised. So um, that's something I want to work in that space as is a volunteer. It, is that something that everyone could get the uh, test in advance of yes. the children? Yes. But and I highly that. recommend that one, as you get married, one of you get tested and find out. If you're a carrier, then the other one can be tested. Is that an expensive um, test? No, it's a blood test. No. Every child in America is now tested at birth, which is progressive. Um, so that is a bonus. But waiting until then, you know, that's a hard way to learn. It's, it's yeah, it seems like it would make sense that uh, you would do it before yeah. you become a parent. But, you know, the medical right. community is so concerned with money. 
Maybe. Well, but they're usually spending quite a lot of money on the wedding. <laughs> so it seems to me that the uh, two to five hundred dollars they could spend on the test might be of value. Well, but I'm saying that if the medical community is not recommending it, people on their own right. aren't going to know to have it. And I think that there's so and, many areas where, yeah. where the medical community just is passive and doesn't recommend things because it costs money or insurance is not going to cover that kind of stuff. Right. Really foolish. Right. Exactly. And I do understand that some OBGYN doctors do recommend it, but that's something for me to think about. And I'm going to think about if there's room to do some work there for me. Hmm. So thanks for bringing that up. You're welcome. So, so tell me what else in terms of, uh, the progression of, of your emotional state in terms of dealing with this. What are some other things that happened uh, in terms of changes in your life and your, your values that have occurred in the last eight years? Well, as I said, the, one of the first was stuff, you know, that, uh, and I don't think it's uncommon that we spend a lot of our earlier years gathering stuff and, you know, having a beautiful home and those things are important and then to look around and realize they're not important over that eight years um I well and then the last year and a half I have either sold or given away or put in storage virtually everything I own except my dog and some clothes and um and I'm now living in uh someone else's home which is lovely, <laughs> but uh, I didn't need things anymore. I needed, and also stopped giving gifts to my children, um, but started giving them experiences and mm -hmm. um, shared experiences as a family. That Actually, I learned a lot of this from a friend of mine whose son had died of a rare form of Down syndrome. And they had told her he would only live a year and he lived 18 years and at his funeral I learned a, that was the same year Adele was born that how to live because because they knew his life would be short they celebrated everything and took a picture of everything and framed that picture whereas the rest of us we take all the photos and they're lost in our cameras the photos are lost in drawers because we have this feeling it'll go on forever so we, we capture the moment, but then we forget about it. And when you know life is short and you know the experiences are fragile, you don't put them in drawers. You really celebrate them. And you really learn to be mindful of the time you have together. That's such a great message because there's, there's nothing that could be more true that we all have a deadline Every yeah. one of us has a deadline. Every one of us. And the fact that you can put it aside and, 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 and just pretend it's not going to happen or it's not going to happen for other people around, right. around us. We and, take it for granted, and right? You, and you can just take that one experience, that one dinner, that one party, mm -hmm. that one thing is just, just something you got to do today. It's not something that's that uh, you don't know when the next one is going to be or if there's going to right. be the next one. Right, um, right. It's a completely different way of living. 
And, you know, we do take life for granted. And we assume our children will grow up. So then we start worrying about what team they're on or what grades they're getting or what college they get into or will they finish college. And it all don't mean a thing. And not in the long run. No. Not in the long run. So, um, and I've had this conversation in a couple of podcasts recently about, uh, in fact, I had it last night uh, on a podcast with Stacy about fear of death. And, and she had a tremendous fear of death, but she also, she didn't stop living because, you know, there's certainly people, I want to ask you about this, there's certainly people that are terrified of death and terrified of taking risks, terrified of taking chances, and they do everything to keep themselves safe, which, of course, you can't really do. And there's other people like Stacy that's uh, on the last podcast that decides that I'm not going to waste any time because I don't know how long I'm going to be around and I'm going to make the most of this life and appreciate it. And, you know, we, we have both of those choices, don't we? We do. And I think that's what Adele's diagnosis taught me is you asked if I lived near her and I said, actually, I moved away from her because it's not my job to raise her. Um, it's my job to love and appreciate her. And, um, but I think I'm a better role model for her by living my life as fully as I can than I am waiting for her to get sick again. And um, so I left and I started recreating my life. And that takes a lot of courage, Elizabeth. I, you know, <laughs> yes, it does. I'd like to hear more about that because it's, you know, I, it's easy to see how you could say, I need to be close by. I need to have every right. second. And it's, it's, Probably not the. It's probably not the best for for either of you, because right. that's a that's a tremendous amount of of stress, and uh, so you've just decided to live your life and do the best you can for everybody in your family. Yes, and, uh, but because the other question that kind of comes to mind that happens a lot in terms of conversations I have with with women that are in the second half of their lives is did you spend the, you know, the first half of your life putting yourself last doing things for everybody yeah. else and taking care of everybody yeah. else and not taking care of yourself right and what's the process of deciding that uh, you're not going to do that any longer because it's it's a habit that in many many women is deeply ingrained and, and hard to change it is and there are very few um, role models for that change hmm. so yeah. far. I think um, something like Modern Elder Academy is um, going to be influential in that. Um, but uh, I kind of had to make it up as I went to make those changes. Um, I did have the value of coaches. Um, I've always, for the last 10 years, had the value of many different coaches coming into my life, all at the right time. What they say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And, yeah. uh, 
I likened it to a conversation with somebody this week that I got myself up on the swimming block. I got the right bathing suit. I got the right swim cap. I had the right goggles. I took all the swim lessons, but I had trouble actually diving in the water with, you know, so I, I've had coaches get me all the way there and then get me to take that dive in. And right now I'm just swimming in it and it's great. So I want to, I want to emphasize two points first, and I've talked in some other podcasts about the modern outer Academy and I've had other people on that have had the experience. I know that you, you haven't actually attended yet. You're attending later this year. Um, but the Chip Conley's work in his book, the uh, wisdom at work mm-hmm. talks about um the second half of your life uh, is not about, you know, sitting in a rocking chair and that so many people uh, are ready for a different experience and that they're to think that when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, that you're not, can't be productive and can't do things. And in particular, that there's so many new companies, uh, technology companies that have a lot of uh, young kids that have tremendous amounts of knowledge uh, on a technological basis and have not much emotional intelligence, not much right. ability to do work with other people or develop businesses to develop uh, other leaders in the organization. And the people that have had uh, experiences can come into these companies even if they don't have the technical abilities, but provide their own wisdom and emotional uh, intelligence to help uh, to help these people and help help uh, the companies grow and the and the organizations grow. So I think that's really critical in today's world as the population continues to age. Uh, we're not even uh, even replacing ourselves on the on the birth side, unfortunately. Right, right. And then the second thing you said about the power of being uh, of utilizing coaches. Uh, people have all different kinds. I've been coaching for just a few years now after I got rid of uh, brick and mortar businesses and things that were a drain on my energy and devoted myself in terms of helping people from uh, the coaching uh, from the coaching realm which for me is about just supporting a person and what they want to do it's not about telling them the template of following right. 93 steps and you'll be successful just like me. I, I really can't. The last thing I could do is say what's best for Elizabeth or for any client of mine. I can't say what's best for them because I don't even know. No. no. What somebody says, here's what I'd like to do. I don't know how to do it. I am uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable uh, showing up in a different way than I've showed up my whole life. And even though I have a clear idea of I what I want to do, uh, very few of us, uh, in fact, almost nobody can do it on their own without somebody that's going to be a, a mirror and a reflection and just remind remind you of what's actually possible and be there to hold your hand and just to help. Well, and also forward. hold you accountable because it's so easy to dream. It's hard to actualize or operationalize something. And... Um, and was it Rumi who said, we're all here to walk each other home? Um, it's kind of, I, I think my coaches have prepared me. They have supported me. But 
ultimately they hold me accountable and and maybe that's the Catholic school girl in me that you know I always need to am I on the right path like or you know someone will say well two weeks ago you know you wanted to do this I'm like oh yeah yeah that's right because when you're dreaming and creating visions it's it's hard to uh operationalize it is what I guess so that's to me where the coaches um, can make all the difference. And yeah, I think you had see. sent me a question like who inspired you the most? And I'm thinking every coach, every leader that stepped into my life. So who, who would you say has had the greatest influence on your life? If you could cite I, I would say anybody who's coached me. I put them all in the same category. Probably there's probably 10 of them. And uh, I can't pick one over the other because some were at the right time, right? They were always the right time. The right teacher always shows up yeah. at the right time. That's right. It's a matter of what you're willing to do. Although I do have a different perspective on the accountability piece because uh, I found that, and I've worked with a lot of coaches myself as well, and there's no coach that can that can hold me accountable because I could come up with more excuses uh, uh, than there are galaxies in the universe to why I didn't do it. So I just at some point realized that, uh, that it's not your job as my coach to make me do something because you really can't. Oh yeah. No, I think it's the reminder. It's the witness, you know, um, what I, know. I say about, about my best friend is our friendship over time is about bearing witness and bearing witness is sometimes a reminder, right? Like, don't forget you had oh, this situation before. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, so had how to, did you handle it? Yeah. I just had to point out. And for, for some people, the accountability manager concept works great. I've mm-hmm. just, I've just found for me that mm-hmm. it's, it's another excuse to put the responsibility on somebody else. And, mm. um, and so my accountability manager generally is my phone. You know, I can yeah. put the reminder, I can put the deadlines in and I cannot do it when I put the deadline in, or, you know, if you want to remind me, I, this is what I said to do. Oh, that's great. But the, mm-hmm. the, the idea with, with somebody that I work with that I coach is that I tell them that if you don't do what you say you're going to do, I, I don't think less of you. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm not mad at you. You know, if you, you know, you can be disappointed in yourself or, or decide to do it differently next time. But I'm still just as supportive of you. You know, the first, the first 99 times you don't do what you say you're going to do, it's fine. You'll do it the 100th mm-hmm. time if that's what you want and that's what you're ready for. It's just, it's, it's just the way mm-hmm. I, I kind of look at it. Other stories, Elizabeth, that had an impact on your life, other events that you want to talk um, about? Yeah, I would say for my work, um, it was hearing Jeffrey Canada speak. And Jeffrey Canada created the Harlem Children's Zone. And I, at 50, I had the opportunity to take early retirement. I had a year to decide. And uh, it was about nine months into exploring what I would do next and so excited and I heard Jeffrey Canada speak on the importance of early literacy and I was in charge of literacy uh, where I worked at the time and I thought we're not doing that and nobody else understands this and I have the opportunity to make a huge impact here 
and I can't take retirement. Darn it. So um, I ended up working. um, I came to an agreement with my uh, leader at the time and said, and now I can't leave for five years, right? This retirement offer is only good again in the next five years. So this is my goal. I would like to stay, but um, I need to make a bigger impact in literacy. Um, here's my vision and I have no idea how I'm going to execute it. How about it? Can I stay five more years and, uh, will you support me? And he said yes. And, um, I ended up putting together an amazing team of people. Again, I can have visions, but I need help operationalizing them. I worked with the most amazing people ever. And four years later, we were recognized at the White House for being one of the top organizations in the country working on this issue. And I thought, wow, there we went from vision to operationalizing in four years. <laughs> While we were in the White House, my boss said, you know, you have to retire next year. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Um, so so that your, was... What, what's your opinion of how you, how you went about that? And I love the idea of saying, I didn't know how it was going to be accomplished. I just knew I wanted to accomplish it and you just found the way. So what's your... Well, I think that now I can use language around that that I didn't have then. Yeah. Um, now through meditation and reading on a personal level, I would say this is the power of setting intention without being attached to the outcome. If I had said, I want to win that award and I want to be in the White House and I don't know what I'm going to do to get there, it wouldn't have happened. Right? That would have been an outcome and I was attached to. Um, Setting the intention of increasing the conversation and services around literacy from cradle to career in our county, um, that's my intention. And I don't know what the outcome looks like or how long it'll take. Um, Then things that it sounds spiritual, corny, the universe puts things in place, but it's a matter of you also recognizing the synchronicity, right? So here, the language of meditation and intentionality, manifestation and synchronicity, all of it was there, but I didn't know that language. But what I did learn is to trust and have faith in outcomes that uh, I wasn't directing. Um, but, but then it did of, help that I was a strategic planner. But that wasn't um, probably the first time that you were able to trust and take a project forward, was it? No, but I think uh, as to your earlier conversation about sit, playing things safe and being careful, yeah. was a much bigger part of my career prior to that. Um, this was definitely stepping outside a comfort zone and um, getting others to buy into the vision, to fund the vision, to work in the vision. You know, I, I learned what my skills and strengths were. So you said extrovert or introvert, according to the book Quiet, The Power of Introverts, I'm an ambivert. I was extremely extremely shy child and really had to teach myself extroversion. Um, I did teach at Northwestern for 12 years. That certainly honed the practice of being able to speak publicly. Um, But 
I always need to recover from that, like a little time to re-energize. Um, but I did learn that I, I'm, I'm a powerful motivator of people and ideas. And if the ideas are right, the, everything will fall into place. So you're pretty proud of yourself for this. I'm proud of the people that worked together to I'm make just, it happen. Elizabeth, I'm just trying to help you take credit <laughs> for this. <laughs> I, I can take pride in the fact that I can uh, create visions. But my gift is inspiring other people to, to actualize it. I understand that's part of your gift, but uh, my statement goes back to the same thing. I think you're pretty proud of what you accomplished. You're the one that came up with the idea. You're the one that implemented the project. You're the one that made it happen. I can never say it was all me. I, in a younger self, I might have. At this point <laughs> in my life, I know nothing is just me. No way. We, I, I, the question wasn't, was it all you and nobody else did anything? The question it was, was, was I proud, proud of that work? Are you proud of what you did? <laughs> I'm proud of the contributions I made to that. Okay. Yes. Uh, we're, we're almost out, out of time, and we've got really probably a lot more ground to cover that maybe we'll cover in a future podcast. Um, let me ask you this. What did you deserve in your life that you didn't get? And what did you get that you didn't deserve? I sometimes wonder why I've had to do things the hard way. But I also value that when you do things the hard way, the road less traveled, you learn. So I feel those experiences that sometimes I gladly would have gone without. Um, I have been divorced twice um, and it's not something I ever wanted or chose. Um, you know, you never go into a marriage assuming you have an out. Um, so um, have I had hardships? Yes. Have I always wondered why me? Why can't I be the woman down the street who never seems to ever have a hardship? But I also know that everybody has hardship some just covered up better and some haven't some some people are going to get to this point in life and start having spouses die and disease happen and they haven't been prepared i feel like i've been prepared to handle anything i'll be honest with you the more people you talk to the more in depth you get there's nobody that hasn't had right trauma and hardship right and right the uh, you know you're because of all the things you've endured is uh, makes the person makes you who you are right now and and the idea of saying I wish I hadn't had it this way or that or I wish I'd done it the easy way it doesn't really matter does it because we we do the wow. best we can and and even with regard to relationships I always find it interesting that we can be so judgmental because you know relationships last the amount of time that they last and right. it's it's not the quantity of time or to hold on because there's so many people that hold on to relationships that no longer serve them and right or jobs or absolutely friends or 
because they value that that idea of security that's really a mm-hmm. it's a fantasy that there's some security out there in terms of uh, hanging on to something and never letting it go because it just makes you you know i was in i was in a business 20 years it was 19 and a half years too long and something happened to me that slapped me in the face and realized that that's not what i want to keep doing but mm-hmm. I had a lot of value being in the business for it. It taught me a lot in terms of being in it for so long. If I, right. had, a, if I had a mulligan, I had a do-over, I would probably do a lot of things differently back when I was hmm, probably 23. But uh, right. but you don't. And uh, and I just have to have to say that that judgments that we that we all tend to make about the less than perfect life or the mistakes we made are all they're all, all worthless judgments because when you come from a place of where you did the best you could and you had the, and you were here to have the experiences, not to have the perfection of never making a mistake or never choosing something that enables you, I think, to kind of relax a bit and to be okay with all of it, which is a, right. a good place to be. Hard place to get it for is. a lot of us. But. Hard place to get to, but once you realize it, it's easier all the time. And it is about being mindful and it is about grace under pressure. And it is about being a role model rather than a role, playing a role. So in closing, Elizabeth, how are you doing? I've never been happier. And it it makes me laugh because I am not following a script. I um, don't know what what my future holds. I'm living in a strange city that um, making new friends every week, uh, doing new work, um, growing in leaps and bounds, and also healing, you know, being mindful of time and, and meditating and um, really um, never been happier. And if you looked at me from the outside, you'd be like, what's her retirement plan and she sold her house and she gave away her stuff and (laughs) probably looks like I'm crazy, but I have never been happier. You know, I think the more people that say you're, you're crazy, the better off you're, the better you're doing. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good barometer. Okay. Well, there's a lot of them. (laughs) So I, I uh, feel like um, in my own barometer, I am where I am supposed to be, and I'm not supposed to know what's next. Yeah, because you can't know what's next. You're, you're going to create what's next and uh, yeah. have, the, have the idea that there's there's something that's supposed to happen or you're supposed to plan it all out, and it's going to just go according to plan. Is And really what, what I would like to do is become more of a leader for women at this age who do want to change as there were so few resources for me. Um, yeah, so well, you know what? That's, goal. That's, that's something maybe we'll, uh, we'll talk about uh, further and collaborate on because that's really a big part of my passion as well. Okay. And as I've, st- as I've started this podcast not very long ago, I just keep finding different reasons for doing the podcast and different different pieces of wisdom and different stories that, that, that really need to be told. And the thing that you said about your whole process that you had to make it up yourself, uh, you've done, uh, first I've got to say that you've done just a fantastic job 
navigating through what's been, you know, obviously some huge, huge challenges that will continue, but that's, it's a great example. And I think a lot of people will resonate with this as another example, how you handle these things and how it's possible. Cause there's, you could see in your story, there are many opportunities to go the other way to go towards mm-hmm. security, to uh, yeah. just, just, just to hang on. And you've made choices that, that uh, again, I appreciate the point of you had the support and you had coaches that you worked with, but, uh, and everybody needs, times in their life needs that support. But uh, in most cases, and that's probably the underlying reason why I do the podcast is to show people the examples of other people that are doing it because for every one of you, there's a thousand that have been similar or worse challenges that are just kind of lost. Well, and I tell people, if a a woman who worked for nonprofits with five children, two divorces, and two children in college can do it, anybody can do it. (laughs) They can, with some little help and support. Yes. Um, Thank you very much for sharing your story, Elizabeth. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate the time. Inspiring and uh, I hope to check in with you again and uh, see how things proceed as you continue to shed more clutter in your life and uh, continue to live a life of joy and excitement and uh, creation. Thank you. And I look forward to our next conversation. Okay. Thanks for listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life. If you like today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co on Instagram, TV or Twitter, at TV. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.